morning. Please excuse the technical difficulties there. I guess if there's a day when you're going to be conspicuous by trying to take over dad duties, today's a good day. <laughs> but uh, again, we just want to say welcome to everyone here this morning. It's good to see so many out when we know there's so many gone on the way up to camp and we do need to remember to pray for them. Uh, but uh, uh, especially on this Father's Day, it's good to be able to uh, uh, kind of break from our normal routines to be able to take time to honor the dads. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of that going on in our culture, is there? You know, when I want, I say when I watch TV, I don't really have a TV show that I watch any regularly except for, you, you might say, the news, but that's not really much of a program to watch. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, just from seeing stuff going by on on the commercials, from The Simpsons, the old shows Married with Children, and Archie Bunker, and Everybody Loves Raymond, you know, it seems like the role that's displayed of the dads and the husbands in our culture today are just all buffoons. And uh, why we've arrived there, how we've arrived there, that's another story. But, you know, the place that the Lord gives to the man the place the Lord gives to the fathers is quite in a privileged position. And um, if you'll forgive me this morning, I know that it was advertised that we were going to continue our study this morning in Acts 14. And uh, we do want to keep that continuity. It's what our young people are going to be studying in the Sunday school class, I believe. right? And then next week we're going to continue on in our study of the book of Acts. I'd like to take a little bit of a detour this morning to, to just focus in on some things that the Bible has to say to us as men to encourage us along the journey. The responsibilities that the Lord has, has given to us, the way He has made us, hopefully this will be an encouragement to us. Because the reality is what? None of us are perfect, right? And so none of us are perfectly fulfilling those things. And, and if we just allow the weight of that to settle into our minds with the reinforcement of all the negative value given in our society, it can be a very discouraging day. Uh, but I hope that today will be an encouragement to each of us, whether we're dads or not. Because the reality is what God calls us to as men, and men who know Christ, there's a lot of overlap in our relationships, whether it's father-son, husband-wife, or we're just relating in the body of Christ. And um, I hope that we will be able to take something away from that today as a result. And then tonight, we will go back to Acts chapter 14. My original intent was to start in Acts chapter 14 and then to find something there to depart and say, let's talk about how this relates to dads and then kind of go off. And, and you know, it just became a little bit too contrived to make. <laughs> so I said, you know what, why don't I just come back to that tonight? So uh, I hope that you're tracking along with what we're doing on Sunday mornings and learning about this pattern in this transitional book in the New Testament that God has given us as the Lord Jesus Himself ascended into heaven after all that Luke says the Lord Jesus began to do and to teach. And then as He left and He continued to do and to teach many things but now through the acts of the apostles as they would go from place to place doing and teaching all kinds of things and establishing the foundation of the very church that we're a part of that uh, you'll want to come back even though it is Father's Day and you probably want to relax and spend time with your family, uh, that we can continue our study together in the Word of God in Acts chapter 14 as Paul goes on his missionary journey. But this morning I'd like to begin by reading two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 
And I really appreciate the practical gift that the fathers received. Uh, I can never find a tire gauge in my car when I need one. And I know I put it in there somewhere. And so, not only can I gauge how much hot air I've really got, <clears throat> uh, but, but now with a keychain on it, hopefully I can keep track of this thing and, and make good use of it in day-to-day life. And remember that we need to rely on the Lord for His strength as it reminds us on that keychain. Thank you very much, uh, everyone. Well, Hopefully you're in 1 Corinthians 16. And we're going to read verses 13 and 14 together. Paul is concluding his teaching to the church at Corinth, and he's had to deal with some very tough issues. He's been rather uh, 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 straightforward and not beating around the bush, really setting them straight in some serious issues. And now that he's kind of concluded his the main portion of his teaching, he's asking uh, for greetings to be given to various folks. And then uh, he says this, in verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and that all that you do be done with love. Now that's the King James, ver- the New King James Version, and those of you who have the Old King James will notice a slightly different rendering there in the middle of 13, won't you? Quit ye like men. New, New, New King James said, be brave. Does that sound like the man of American culture today? Quit ye like men. Be brave. What does he really mean by that? We want to talk about that. But first, I'd like to just pause once again. And let's thank the Lord for His Word and ask Him to help us in our study this morning. Our Father, we do just want to thank You for the privilege of being able today to call You our Heavenly Father. Each of us are here today because there was an earthly father that brought us into this world. But more importantly than that, since your word tells us that each of us are an eternal soul living inside these physical bodies, that you have given us the ability to now become born into a spiritual family, to know you, God, as our heavenly father, and learn to walk as a child of God in that family that you have brought us into. And as you've given us instruction now as men to uphold some challenging things that you have given to us, we just pray that you would encourage us in this journey. Help us to take soberly the things that you've brought before our minds here in this passage and throughout your word and and help us to fulfill these things, not for our own sakes and our own glory, but that it might be for the glory of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's made all this possible. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, quit ye like men. The interesting thing I found is uh, it's not exactly the most literal translation. This is what the, 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 the translators chose when they did this translation of the passage. But the idea is, see, that the men who were brave facing the dangers and challenges of their world would not quit if they took seriously the position that God was giving them as a man. And so it says, you quit like a man would quit, or more precisely, he wouldn't quit. He would not shy away from the challenge that was before him. And that's why Newer translations have said, Be a man. Be brave. 
take that place. And again, that's where we realize that the picture being presented to us in our society is vastly different. It's not the picture you see. We see wimps shying away from confrontation and challenge and anything that requires self-sacrifice and anything noble. And uh, we've got to reset the balance. And he tells us a little bit how to in this passage. He says, first of all, watch. Right? He says, there's some... Some danger here. There's something to be on guard for, and we need to stay awake and, and be vigilant about this, right? And First Peter chapter 5 would remind us of the spiritual battle that we are in. He says in verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober and vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he says, we've got to be on guard. If we're going to fulfill our spiritual calling and walk in victory in this world, he says, we've got a spiritual enemy who's trying to take us out and we've got to be watchful and vigilant. And fathers, we've got to be watchful and vigilant, don't we? We're going to talk a little bit about the specifics of what God wants us to be vigilant in, but first of all, we need the warning. Be watchful. Awake, on guard, alert, no sleeping on duty. And as soon as we think like the lion tamer that we've done our, we've, we've whipped that beast into the corner and we can relax, we're in trouble. Because the enemy doesn't sleep. And he's going to come back at us again. Now, this passage says what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, to be steadfast in the faith. Now, Paul reminds us back in 1 Corinthians 15 of a similar challenge to all believers. And he said, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And you know, there's a lot of things we do in this world and we don't see reward for it. And maybe the roles as husbands and wives and mothers and fathers are certainly nearer and nearer to the top of that list every day. Women who choose to stay home with their children are looked down upon by their peers who are up and climbing the corporate ladder in their own organizations. And men who would choose rather to spend time with their family and denying the promotions of, their, of the offers at work because they know the price that it would cost them are looked down upon. Some of them may lose their jobs because they're not willing to lay it all out there for the boss. 60 and 80 hours a week. But you know, is that really what we want to give our lives for? Every time I've talked to someone who's got regrets on their deathbed, and I hear about them, I have not heard one person who said, I wish I'd have spent another hour at the office. I wish I'd have done one more project. It's usually, I wish I'd have spent more time investing in my, my children, my family, my marriage. There was a man I worked with who was once a millionaire. And he had whatever he wanted, but he lost his family. And he came into my classroom and talked to my students, and he told them it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth losing my marriage. It wasn't worth the estrangement of my children as I poured my life into those things. He says to be immovable, knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. If we will invest our lives to be immovable, in the things the Lord calls us to, 
there will be a reward. Maybe we won't see it here in this world. Maybe it'll be in the next, but it will be there. And it takes faith to live that kind of life. So he says, be steadfast in the faith in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We've got to hang on to that. There's more to this life than what we see. Jesus himself said that a man's life consists of more than what he possesses. And we can possess all kinds of things in our hands and miss the truly valuable things in life. Now this phrase, quit ye like men or be brave and be the man, actually is repeated in, in other places in the Bible. And, and I didn't realize that until I was doing a little bit of study on this, but I, if you'll just look with me real quick, back to the Old Testament, Second Samuel 10. In Second Samuel chapter 10, we find... Verse 12. Joab was leading the Israelites into battle. And it says in verse 11 that he said, he turned to the people, specifically to Abishai, his brother, and he shouted this to them so that everyone could hear. He said, Then he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of God. And may the Lord do what is good in His sight. And again, the New King James has put it a little bit differently. But to be of good courage, to be strong for our people. In the, in the Old King James it says, Play the men for our people. Be a man out here. Stay in the fight. Back me up. We're going to do this for the people. We're going to take our place and fulfill it. You know, the story is told. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I, I heard someone mention this story and, and I wasn't familiar with it. And so I went and got out my Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, my family gave me this book, Father's Day of 2004, because they wanted to remind me of men of God who have taken their role of service for the Lord seriously and uh, were faithful even to death and are heroes of the faith today. And they wrote in here that they want me to be that kind of hero that they can follow after in their lives. And uh, I started looking. I said, I know it's got to be in here. But in 1555 in England, in Oxford, there were two men who were true believers in a day where the church was apostate and not teaching the truth. And these men were brave enough to stand up and teach the truth knowing that it could cost them their life. Others like Wycliffe, and John Huss and other famous men of their day, William Tyndale, had already been burned by the Catholic Church. John Bunyan put in prison. And these men were arrested in separate places and brought together. And in different places around the country, these men were burned at the stake the same day. And Mr. Ridley, it says, when they put the flame... To his feet. He called out to Mr. Latimer, who was nearby himself, who'd been chained to the stake, and they were they were going to burn them alive. He said, Be of good uh, I guess Mr. Latimer said it to Mr. Ridley. He said, Be of good cheer, Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day, by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. Play the man. You know what? Do we understand what God means when He says, play the man? 
They understood. They did not shrink away from even their own lives being laid down to fulfill their calling as they followed God as men in their day. And the challenge goes out to us. Play the man. God's man. Not the wimpy guys we see on TV. Not the macho guys who sometimes are called a man's man in culture today. Both extremes are not the, 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 the model of, of the Scriptures. But we need to find out what the balance really is according to God's Word so that we can fulfill it. So that we can be brave, be strong, watchful, immovable. As one of the young people quoted this morning in Joshua 1. The Lord repeatedly said to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous and that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage and do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And brothers and sisters, the Lord is calling us today to be bold, to be courageous, and to keep the words of His law in our hearts and minds, meditating on them that we might fulfill what is written there for us as well. And today what I'd like to do, and this is not a unique concept with me, I actually heard about it. Uh, from a man, he was on the radio, named Stu Weber. I've seen his book in the Christian bookstores, The Tender Warrior. I've not read it. Didn't really know much about him. Um, but he was teaching about biblical manhood, and I thought this concept was just so helpful to me, a visual learner, that I wanted to demonstrate it for you this morning. When you've got a platform resting on a foundation, and of course back then, many of the foundations were made of pillars, right? I notice we have a few pillars here. I don't want to mess with those <laughs> for obvious reasons. Right? Uh, this one may be a little bit unstable like I am. But uh, I want this to represent for us the heart of a man. And uh, the argument, the picture comes from the concept that in every man's heart was built a pillar. Four of them. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 to see where these concepts come from in their, in their seed forms. And we'll see examples in Scripture as we go through this together. But four pillars that, w that are in a man's heart to become a support for him as he tries to fulfill this call of manhood. And today we like to specifically remind ourselves as fathers our calling as we, in order to support this structure, depend on all four pillars to see it stand. And you know, a pillar to be... The right kind of support for this platform need to be straight. You lean them one side to the other, and, and this thing is falling down, and I'm going to try not to knock it down because hopefully it'll be a good picture for us here. But I, you know, if it leans one way or the other, <laughs> you know, all the others are depending upon it to stay standing. And I've knocked this thing over several times today. I try to get the right length of wood, and it's the one that's sawed off, sawed off squarely. But you know, it takes effort in our lives to make sure that the pillars of our life and our, and our heart, men, are square and straight and true. Because, see, depending on the need of the moment, any one of these four pillars may be called upon to bear the most weight in holding up what's on the platform. 
It depends on the circumstance of the day. But God has made these pillars in our nature, and if we learn to, as followers of Christ, erect them straight and true, then we will be like Joshua said. We will make our way prosperous. We will be able to have success in this journey. So having said all that by introduction, maybe we can go back to Genesis 2 and take a look at these four pillars that God has built into our nature as men and as we need to apply dads in our families. And you know, the thing that I I, I was so challenged by as I considered these is how feeble I feel at fulfilling them. And how, as I look back, and you know, it's so easy for us to be critical of our own dads and parents, the way that they raised us, but how difficult it must have been for them to keep these pillars straight. But what a blessing it's been for me to watch my own father, my father-in-law, as he and they have come back and, and straightened various pillars in their walk. Saying, you know what, we, we, we may not walk this life perfectly, but we want to keep in the battle to set things right. We want to follow the Lord and be bold, be strong, immovable in the right areas. And you know, here it was in Genesis, in chapter 2, as God is zooming in on, on what happened after He created the man. It tells us, starting in verse 7, right, that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we were made in the image of God, right? And so as we became a living soul, he goes on to tell us, verse 15, that the Lord God then took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Genesis 1.26 said, let them have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the cattle, and over all the creeping things on the earth, right? Man was given dominion. The woman wasn't a part of this yet, but he took the man and said, I'm putting you in this realm to tend and cultivate and keep it. And see, one of the pillars in the man's heart, right from there we can see, is that there is a realm in which we have been entrusted to rule as a king, if you will. There is within our hearts the heart of a king. One of the pillars that God is expecting us to uphold in our hearts is that of a king in order to provide for, to tend, and to care for our family in the realm in which He's given us to reign, to have dominion. And you know, if we take that, if we take that pillar and lean it too far to the one side, this is my castle and I'm the king of it, we can become a tyrant. That's not the kingship that God is looking for from us, is it? Right? Jesus says to His disciples, listen, the men of this world, when they're given authority, they lord it over those subjects under them, but not so with you. If you want to be great, be a servant. You take the lowly place and lay down your life. And He used Himself as the example. He said that I am laying my life down for you. That's the example. Take your, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Me. What kind of leadership is that? That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 to husbands. Are to, uh, the way we're supposed to deal with our wives is as Christ loved the church and laid down His life for them. That's not a tyrant. But you know what? It's also not an abdicator. It doesn't mean that because I'm not going to be a, a tyrant and dictator that, that I suddenly become a doormat that doesn't do anything but get walked on. Was that the way Christ was? No. Right? He was meek and gentle, but powerful and strong. And I remember the words of uh, 
King David as he was coming to the end of his reign. I guess it wasn't David's words, but it was said about him in 1 Kings chapter 1. Perhaps it was because of the failings in his own life that it says this. But 1 Kings chapter 1 in verses 5 and 6 gives us some insight. It says, When Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself, saying, I will be king, and he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him, there's this parenthesis in verse 6, and his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking, and his mother had borne him after Absalom. Other little details. But listen to this. His father had never crossed him, never challenged him, never stood up as the king of his realm to say, what's going on here? There's got to be accountability. God's going to hold me accountable, right? When we see Adam in the garden, who took the fruit first? Eve. But where, who did God come to? Adam. Adam, you were entrusted with this charge. What happened? You were asleep on duty. We already heard. Be watchful. Be awake. And there are times where it requires some strength to stand up. To draw the lines. As a king, we have to. But not to become a tyrant. Not to become an abdicator of the role. But rather like Christ. And this is hard, right? It's not just providing physically and financially, but spiritually. What are the needs in my home? How am I going to provide for the spiritual upbringing of my children? You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that fathers, it's upon us. To use the, the moments in our home when we're, when, when we're in the house, when we're by the wayside, when, with these teachable moments that arise to make sure that we're capitalizing on them. Because we're responsible for the spiritual upbringing of our children. It's not the church's job. Sunday school was started to reach the lost who don't have Christian upbringings. You see, our responsibility in the home is to be training up our children in the nurture and admonition of Christ. And we as fathers have the responsibility to lead and direct and to guide our homes as the pillar of king has been set there from the very beginning by God. Well, what's the other pillar here? We go back to Genesis 2. You'll have to keep your finger there. I should keep my finger there. There we go. Let me get my little bookmarker here. All right. Genesis chapter 2. He put him in the garden to tend and keep it. And then, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. We'll stop right there. There's some information that God was now giving to Adam as he was, yes, placed there to reign and to have dominion over it. But now, what's he supposed to do with that information? Not just keep it to himself, right? But one of the pillars in every man's heart is to be a mentor, to teach those who are given to us in our charge. And it goes beyond our family, right? As we have influence in the spiritual realm, we have spiritual children, those who follow along after us, and God wants us to be able to be mentors to pass along the knowledge that He's given us to pass that baton to others. Isn't that what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 2? The things that you have seen and heard and learned of me, entrust to faithful men, that they also will be able to entrust them to others after them. And we keep this baton passing as we realize that God has called us to a mentoring role to teach and disciple. It was the charge given to the disciples in Matthew 28. Make disciples of all the nations. And where do we begin? 1 Timothy 3, talking about the spiritual leadership in the church, says it begins in the home. How can we lead in the, amongst the people of God if we can't even order our own homes? And we've got to begin by discipling our wives and our children. And, to, and you know the way Jesus led, wasn't it? By pure example. Everything that He's called us to, He's done. And you know, as a mentor... 
As those who possess this knowledge now, we can become a a know-it-all and become really puffed up. That doesn't help, does it? We already studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 that knowledge puffs up, right? But love builds up. And if we lean that pillar of the mentor too far to the one direction, we're going to become know-it-alls. Or on the other side, we can become so irrelevant by our inability to take simple wisdom and make it plain to those who need it around us. The Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools will despise wisdom and instruction. And so Proverbs 1 says, when wisdom goes out in the street, calling to those who will come, and they don't even apply themselves to listen, they don't apply themselves to seek it, they don't apply themselves to to, to learn the fear of the Lord. It says, when your day of calamity comes, all I can do is laugh at you. You've laughed at me and now it's too late. You can't learn it all on the spot. You need to be building that foundation all along, erecting that pillar straight so we can mentor those who the Lord has brought along. You know, the whole book of Proverbs is Solomon saying what? My son, my son, if you would be wise, heed my words. My son, my son. And he covers so many areas of life. And if we leave our young people to try to figure out for themselves the right way in life because we have failed to mentor them and to pass along our wisdom of our years, whether from our own mistakes or those mistakes of those around us or even the ones given to us in the Word of God, they suffer a great price. I said to myself when I was 18, I said, you know, something's wrong in my walk with the Lord. I see these friends of mine who grew up in the church, or maybe they didn't, but they've gone off into the world and they've made a mess of their lives. Finally, the Lord gets a hold of them. They come back and they got a passion for the Lord. They're just devouring the Word of God. They love Him. And I want what they got. Why don't I have it? What's the sense of the Lord putting me into a Christian home if in order to get what they got, i got to go run out into the world and get all the scars and all the problems that they've got to try to come back and know, now I love the Lord, though. I said, Lord, I know that's not the way it's got to work. Please help me. Help me to learn. Right where I am, without having to run off any further than I already am into the world. Right where I am. And he began to do that. He brought people along. He brought life experience that that really broke me down, humbled me. And I thank the Lord for that. But we don't have to, and we don't want our children to do that. But we've got to be able to be the mentor that God wants us to be in passing those things along. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. See, there is a warning. There is danger. And he says, I'm telling you this so that you can be forewarned to do something about it. One of the pillars in our hearts, men, is a warrior to protect those under our charge. We've already mentioned the spiritual battle that's out there. But you know, There's some people, that's all they want to focus on is being the warrior. Tackle the challenges. And what do they do? They become a brute. They run over everybody. Because we're going to conquer. Let the chips fall where they may. But that's not the Lord Jesus again, is it? You know, Herod the Great, it says it was better to be a dog in his house than a member of his family. Because he was a brute. He had in his own mind the suspicion that two of his children may have wanted to succeed him to the throne, so he had him killed. His own sons. 
one of his wives. And we know what he tried to do to the Lord Jesus. He's crucified all those young children, two years and under, in Bethlehem. No one wants to live in a home with someone like that. But you know, on the other side, I think of Saul, <laughs> King Saul. The Lord told him, you're going to be the king. The people have asked for one. And you're the man that God has chosen for the job. And Samuel comes to introduce him to everybody. Uh, Samuel! I mean, excuse me, Saul! And he's hiding behind the stuff in the corner. He was a coward. Now, not that we need false pride, false confidence in ourselves, but our confidence, we do need to have confidence, but our confidence needs to be in the Lord. And, and one of the most amazing things I've found is that in my own life, you know, First Timothy, or Second Timothy one seven says, uh, uh, "Oh come on, uh, why is it escaping me right now? I'm sorry. I wanted to quote the whole verse for you. <clears throat> God has not given us a spirit of fear. The New King, uh, the New American Standard has a better translation, but it says that God has not given us a spirit of timidity." but of power and love and a sound mind. See, God has never told us that we have to wait till we get rid of fear. He says, do not fear man, but fear God. Right? Uh, when I go to the electricity box, all right, I don't have to wait until I'm af I stop being afraid of what electricity can do to me before I stick my hands in the box. But, if I have the right kind of fear, I'll do something about what the problem is. And I can go to the breaker and turn off the circuit and I can stick my hands in the box all day long. We have fear of all kinds in our lives. But timidity is the kind of fear that cripples us to where we don't do anything. We just hide in the corner and bite our nails. God has not given us that kind of fear. He's given us the fear of God that says, I don't care if Goliath is out there. I belong to God and I'm accountable to Him. And if He says I need to go over there and stand against Goliath, I need to go stand against Goliath. And now I trust the Lord to do what I can't do on my own. And when I turn off that circuit and go stick my hands in the breaker, I'm trusting that it's going to take care of what's in that box so I don't get burned. And one of the amazing things to me is in the areas where I find myself most timid is the area that God wants to do the most through me. I was so shy as a kid, I, you couldn't have paid me to get up in front of people. People tried. <laughs> Until one day they tricked me into something and I couldn't get out of it. And, 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 and lo and behold, God came through. And then I began to learn. Satan wants to make us timid and cripple us and get us out of the battle. But when we can stand there knowing that we are nothing, but that we have God with us, like that, that, that servant of, of Elisha who, who couldn't see the armies of the Lord but only saw the armies of man. Once he realized that God was out there, then they, they, they didn't have to be so afraid anymore. But we need God to be that big in our own vision so that we don't depend on ourselves. We depend upon Him and we stay in the battle. That warrior pillar needs to be in place. Not cowarding away, not becoming a brute like Herod, but being like Jesus who stood in the gap for us, like David who faced Goliath, standing in the gap between those two, those two hills. Not because he wanted to be there, 
But to fight the Lord's battle, to protect his people, he faced the enemy. And Jesus did that for you and me, didn't he? He went to the cross to defeat the enemy. Even in his own... You know, the, the picture from the very beginning in Genesis 3 is, right? Satan would bruise his heel, but he would crush the head of Satan. And he did not sh shrink away from it as hard as it was for him. We see it there in the garden, but he did it. And fathers, we need to protect our families, you know? And, and as a little children, I see, hey, I got to make sure that I'm nearby so they don't just run out into the street. I got to make sure that, that the physical dangers that they're unaware of don't take them out. But, you know, it morphs into a lot more complicated things, doesn't it, in our society today? We're talking about uh, uh, protecting them emotionally, spiritually. The books, the movies, the TV, the videos, the music that comes into our home, the Internet feed. It's our job to protect our family. But I got to say this. We've got to be willing to protect ourselves first. You remember David when he fell upon seeing Bathsheba? It says, In the time of the year when kings go out to war, David was home and he went up on the, on the roof and he saw this woman. Before I can truly protect my family, I've got to be protecting myself. Am I being self-disciplined about the things I allow my eyes to see, my ears to hear, my mind to think about? If I'm not, I'm going to become prey to the enemy just like David was. I'm going to fall. And the, the tragedy is this. You know, when I was a single man, when I was just a kid, if I messed up and, okay, so one of these pillars, I just gave up on it. It's just my life. But now as a husband, as a father, the consequences of what happens to me in my life are far-reaching and can even be generational. Our children and their families and their grandchildren can pay the price. And so the stakes are high. And so we need to erect a strong pillar for the Lord's sake. And the last pillar. Finally, we get to verse 18 in Genesis chapter 2. Something of a king something of a mentor, something of a warrior. And now in verse 18, the Lord God said, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable or suitable or meet to him. No sin in the world, but there was something in our hearts to relate, to communicate, to connect with others. And the thing that's interesting is this is the one that we downplay the most, right? It's a, it, 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 even in our culture, it's manly to be a king. It's manly to be a warrior. Okay, we can even see the value in, in, in initiating that uh, mentoring relationship, but friends. You know, we don't see guys saying, come on, guys, let's all go to the bathroom together, you know? I mean, <laughs> That's something girls do. They, they flock together from place to place. And, and men, we're, we're, we're so individualistic and we, we have to, we're the Lone Rangers, right? But, but God has placed one of the pillars in our heart that are to connect with others. And the amazing thing is, is that without the friend element in place, I can't be the king God wants me to be. I can't be the warrior God wants me to be. And I won't be the mentor 
God wants me to be. Because what does the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 13? Even if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, even if I have all knowledge and all know all mysteries, if I don't have love, if I don't have the right kind of relationship pillar in place with those around me, I'm nothing but a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I can become so cold-hearted in the way that I deal with people. Yes, on paper, I can be all right. But that closed heart doesn't get through. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians and said, listen, our heart is open towards you, but you've closed your heart towards us. So open wide, open wide. Our hearts are open towards you. And it hurts to have our hearts open when it's not received the way we want it to be. But you know what? Our hearts were not open toward the Lord Jesus when He came to earth. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated His love for us in this. Christ died for us. And because He died for us, now we can respond to that love. Now, see, once we achieve the right kind of respect and influence because our hearts are open. We're not cold and chasing people away because we have a closed heart and, and, and we're, we're just running people, uh, 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 rubbing them the wrong way. On the other hand, you've got, if the pillar leans the other way, you've got someone who only wants to just kind of be buddy-buddy, but now has no influence because there's no backbone. There's no lines drawn. Again, with David, with Adonijah, it says he never crossed him. To be a true friend... The, the Proverbs says that, that, uh, that a true friend is willing to speak things that are not popular. Sometimes we feel hurt by those words. And I remember being challenged by my own father who was willing to take some hard places. But he wasn't a tyrant about it. He opened his heart to me. And he was able to have the influence because he was firm. Now, there were times in my life where I'll say, I thought my dad was too firm. I looked at him as a little bit maybe too hard on that tyrant side. And my heart, and I, I didn't feel like his heart was open towards me, and my heart wasn't open towards him. But there were times where he would open his heart for real, and it was undeniable. My dad apologized to me for, in front of my friends for something he had said. And I, I didn't realize, my friend told me his dad has never apologized to him. Certainly his dad's not perfect. But humbling ourselves in this way. I remember reading a, a book that I got when I became a new dad. The author said, we have to retie the heartstrings. And I've tried to remember that. You know, as I discipline my children, you know, that king, that warrior trying to protect them can seem harsh. And it can cut those heartstrings, the love attachment between us and them. He said, always make sure you can make, go out of your way to retie the heartstrings. And it's not easy to do, you know. With some of my kids, I, I, I'm the physical touch kind of expressive person. And, when I, uh, uh, and I, I like to trip them and poke them and stuff like that. And, and with some of my kids, that'll, that'll do it. You know, even after there's been a spanking, we can be laughing in a few minutes and reconnect. But, you know, some of them, that's not the way they understand love. Some of them need some time to be invested in them. Some of them need 
a little note of encouragement. Some of them need a little, a little something of a gift. It says, wow, he still loves me. He still, he's not going to withhold from me his love. There's different ways we give and express love and understand love. And I know that my kids are all different, and I forget to look out for all those different ways. And so dads, men, as we consider these pillars, I just want to encourage you, you know, we don't do it right all the time. But don't be discouraged. Even in my adult life, um, I'm still learning how to straighten out those pillars. And both my dads have modeled for me how to do that. It's a little humbling sometimes. It's humbling for me even now with my kids being young to say, okay, listen, Daddy didn't do this right. I'm sorry. And uh, to know that they suffer the consequences. But, but you know, God is a God of U-turns. I love this one verse about Paul. And I'm sorry I've gone a little bit over time. But if I could just encourage you with this. right? We look at Paul as a great and shining example to us. But when he writes his own testimony out in First Peter, First Timothy, listen to what he says. He says, For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus might show all long-suffering, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. He says, He is a pattern to us who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who come after Him. And what's the pattern? The pattern is the long-suffering patience of God towards Him. Because you remember how strong He was against Christ and the vicious things that He did against Christ. But when He finally humbled Himself before Christ and said, I'll follow you. Fourteen years He was in the backside of the desert, wasn't He? off learning to walk with Christ. We don't learn a whole lot about the details of that time period, but I tell you what, the patience of Christ to produce in Him the man of God straightening out the pillars, it worked. Think of the disciples who day in and day out were mentored by Christ Himself. And they still didn't get it with fumbling around at the end of Christ's life, right? But when they became filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed. It's a process begins when we come to Christ. Begins when we meet Him at the cross of Jesus Christ and commit our very souls to Him and we become children of God, forgiven of our sins because He paid the price on the cross. From there, as we, Romans chapter 12, present ourselves to Him as living sacrifices, He says, okay, you put your head in the yoke with me, I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. I'll re-straighten those pillars that are bent. And so it's not too late. Maybe you have adult children. Maybe you feel like you failed in one of these areas. It's not too late. Paul was an adult. And God transformed his life. And I know that my own relationship with my father was very strained as an early adult. But with time invested, we redefined the lines. The pillars were straightened. And I couldn't even see at the time where mine were all bent. But we have examples. In the scripture, we have examples in Christ mostly. But we need to be that for one another. Let's pray. Father, as we... Consider your challenge to be a man, to play the man. Quit ye like men. Be brave. We want to be brave about the right things. So we just ask today, help us. Help us to be encouraged that we don't have to be perfect, but we do need to be genuine. And as we open our hearts one to another, Father, I just pray that you would help us who are men here today to take a serious look at those pillars in our lives and to see where we're straight, where we're crooked, and to submit them to you, that you might conform us to the image of Christ. I love that picture that you give us, Lord, that 
little by little, each joint supplies as we help one another, as we pray for one another in the body of Christ to become conformed to that mature, perfect man, the image of Jesus Christ Himself. So Lord, help us. Help us to be able to retie some heartstrings. Help us to be able to, 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 to see this image, these pillars erected in our lives the right way, that we might, as your word said to Joshua, make our way prosperous. We might see success as we meditate in your word and follow your ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.